I mean, I don't want him to love me with his eyes. <laughs> I mean, of all the things. I want him to love me with Porsches. Yes. 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 yes Porsches. True. Yes. Yes. I know what you like. And it's Porsches. <laughs> sure. I mean, I'm I'm. Flexible. You're Italian. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. They're yeah. Italian. Yeah. Are. Yeah. Why are they called Porsche? I don't then? know. Oh, God. I hope I'm right. I'm saying this and I'm like, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure they're Italian. I think they are. I mean, we'll look it up, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. <laughs> okay. I'm almost positive. If you're wrong, this is our cold open. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Hybrid Pub Scout Podcast with me, Emily Einelander, and me, Corinne Kalaski. Hello! Hello! <laughs> We're mapping the frontier between traditional and indie publishing. And yes, this is my voice today. <laughs> I had the cold. Yep. The desperate cold. Yes. The same um, one everyone else has right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But in my iteration, it means I completely lose my voice uh-huh. at the end. But I feel great. Yeah. But she sure does sound sexy, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sexy. Yep. Yep. You know, <laughs> you know who else is sexy? Who? <laughs> Not the person we're about to talk about. <laughs> we have a great interview coming up with a traditional publishing pro turned indie ghostwriter. But first, we would be remiss if we didn't <laughs> refer to the amazing drama that's going on with uh, the founder of Amazon.com. Uh, indeed, we would be. Mr. Jeff Bezos. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Why don't, why don't you start us off oh. with this? All right. Story. Well, I mean, unless you've been hiding under a rock this week, uh, you know that uh, Mackenzie and Jeff Bezos announced their divorce uh, in tweet form on Wednesday morning. Uh, like a JPEG. Of, wait, yeah, of, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of weird, but I mean, not really. I guess it's not really that weird considering we're in a we're in a tweet kind of generation these days. Well, yeah, and it, also a lot of the comments were like, "Oh, he's ma- married." Yeah, that's, yeah. Which I knew, but, like, <laughs> a lot of people apparently didn't. Yeah, yeah. And there was a great, like, the uh, the tweet responses were amazing because mm-hmm. there was one that was, like, all it said was, hashtag pick me daddy challenge. <laughs> <laughs> there was another one that was, like, Alexa, install Tinder. <laughs> then <laughs> the first one was, who fucking cares? Pay your workers a decent wage, you gargoyle. <laughs> Which, when I think about it. yeah. He kind of looks like a gargoyle. He totally looks like a gargoyle or like an ogre or something. A small ogre. A small ogre. A pint-sized ogre. No, (laughs) apparently not. Oh, God. Do you want to read this uh, article that dropped from the National Enquirer? I would be happy to. That same afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) So this is from the National Enquirer, which is, you know, the most reputable publication I can think of. Um, All all the best breaking news. All the best breaking news. (laughs) Okay, here goes. Uh, The marriage of the world's richest couple is set to explode in all-out war after billionaire Jeff Bezos was caught cheating on his wife of 25 years with the spouse of a Hollywood mogul. Whoa. Yeah. The National Enquirer can reveal that for the past eight months, the hot-blooded founder of online retail giant (laughs) Amazon has two-timed novelist wife Mackenzie Bezos with busty beauty Lauren Sanchez, whose husband, Patrick Whitesell, is one of Hollywood's most powerful talent agents. Bezos, a self-described family man, has been whisking his mistress off to exotic destinations on his $65 million private jet, sending her raunchy messages and erotic selfies, (laughs) including one steamy picture too explicit to print here. And having secret rendezvous at palatial private estates. Can I practice my National Enquirer voice and read some more? Okay. Yes. During a blockbuster four-month investigation, the Inquirer tracked Bezos, who turns 55 on January 12th. Oh, happy birthday, Mr. <laughs> Bezos. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Oh. Who turns 55 on January 12th 
and secret lover Sanchez across five states and 40,000 miles tailed them in private jets, swanky limos, helicopter rides, romantic hikes, five-star hotel hideaways, intimate dinner dates, and quote-unquote quality time in <laughs> oh, hidden God. love nests. Our reporters snapped the braggadocious billionaire and his raven-haired lover, 49, (laughs) doing the dirty on their spouses together no fewer than six times in 14 days. Wow. On one occasion, they even enjoyed a secret tryst at the very Boston, Massachusetts hotel the Bezos family stayed in when in town for Parents' Day at his son's MIT campus. Keep going. Okay. I need a break. Okay. Um, it is the real reason why Bezos, one of the world's most powerful men, took to Twitter on Wednesday to announce his shock divorce. We wanted to make people aware of a development in our lives. As our family and close friends know, after a long period of loving exploration and trial separation, we have decided to divorce and continue our shared lives as friends. Lives as friends, the tweet said. We've had such a great life together as a married couple, and we also see wonderful futures ahead as parents, friends, partners in ventures and projects, and as individuals pursuing ventures and adventures. The Inquirer also has learned that the innocent spouses were recently made aware of the fling. For more shocking photos of the pair and all the details about the largest investigation in Inquirer history... Pick up a copy of a special edition of the magazine, blah, blah, blah. Which we tried to do, and yeah. it's all lies. We yeah. couldn't find it. Yeah, so that's they, too bad. They had like an old one, or unless they all got grabbed up already. Oh, I don't maybe. Know. Everybody's interested. I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Also, uh, th- this is the first time I've ever been to the National Enquirer website. Yeah. And they still have in their menu bar uh-huh. just the heading OJ Simpson. <laughs> still. <laughs> Anyway, so um, uh, uh, Lauren, Miss, yeah. Miss, Mrs. Lauren The busty Sanchez, beauty in question. The raven-haired yes. lover. Yes, um, She sent all of his text messages to her friend. Oh, Because at first I was like, oh, well, maybe she was trying to stir up trouble. And then it's like, yeah. oh, no. Yeah. She wasn't. No. She thought that was a good idea. She did. IRL. What an idiot. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, Lauren. Sources close to the investigation this is a page six article by the way sources close to the investigation say sanchez sent the text to a friend to show off about her relationship with the world's richest man and then the palace slipped the text to the inquirer wow a friend yep lauren's over the moon about their relationship said a source meanwhile a source who has been who has seen the raunchier text messages Ugh. which the tabloid didn't publish but that include explicit selfies says bezos has more to boast about than his bank account. Oh, God. He's big, said the insider. (laughs) (laughs) He's big, big, real big. (laughs) The biggest. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, do you want to read some examples of his text messages? Well, we do have wine, so I say you do one, I do one. All right, that's And we drink in between. Okay, I'll do the... Because this is rough. This is, yeah, this is going to take a lot to get Well, I mean, it's partly rough because, like... I don't know. I don't know. Just, yeah. just read what. Yeah, the whole thing's terrible. I, okay. I, normally, I wouldn't do this, but I'll tell you why I am afterward. <laughs> if you haven't already guessed. Yes. I mean, yeah. I think it's pretty obvious. Okay. Oh, uh, the first one, I, which I think is the most famous one by now, for good reason. <laughs> uh, I love you, alive girl. I will show you with my body and my lips and my eyes very soon. Did you see that tweet I retweeted? That was like. Everybody's making fun of Jeff Bezos for calling her a live girl. But if you said dead girl, you wouldn't like it either. So what do you people want from him? (laughs) It's a good point. Okay, my turn. Oh, (laughs) this one's really gross. Uh, Okay. I'm like wretched. She is, yeah. She is unable to read. I want to smell you. I want to breathe you in. I want to hold you tight. I want to kiss your lips. I love you. I am in love with you. Aww. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So the next one goes uh, I miss you. I want to kiss you right now and tuck you in slowly and gently. What does he think that means? I don't know. (laughs) 
and maybe in the morning wake you up and not be quite so gentle with you. That's disgusting. That's the first time I've read that one. That's disgusting. Oh, my God. Your energy and ideas and competence and spirit. That's in all caps. (laughs) Turn me on. You make me better. You're meant for me. Uh Oh, my God. Please make him better. What if she does? Maybe she will. What if he like is he it, might turn into a socialist now? We don't know her. What politics. if he just like gives everybody all of his money and yeah. like yeah. stops treating people like animals? Yeah, it could happen. Maybe I don't she know. is the the key. She might be. Love or does strange things to people. Maybe when Mackenzie gets half of all yeah. of the shit, she's going to fix it. I don't maybe. know. Maybe I wouldn't put it past her. Okay, your turn. Okay. Uh, I am so full of love for you. My heart is growing just so it can have room for you. It's bigger than it's ever been and still swelling. Also sounds like it might not be about his heart entirely, but sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I feel like that was like an obvious. Also, I mean, is he the Grinch? (laughs) He might be. I think he is. Yeah. He's stealing all the children's toys. (laughs) I want to hold you tight. I want to kiss your lips. I love you. Wait, no, that was one. Oh, that means I have to read the last yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, well. <clears throat> okay. This is for you, Corinne. Thank you so much. You know what I want? I want to get a little drunk with you tonight. <laughs> Not falling down, just a little drunk. <laughs> I want to talk to you and plan with you. Listen and laugh. I basically want to be with you. <laughs> then I want to fall asleep with you and wake up tomorrow and read the paper with you and have coffee with you. Oh, great. Okay. Who, uh, who is he having coffee? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You? <laughs> oh. oh the, boy. I mean, to be fair, like, I've sent terrible, terrible text messages. Yeah. So is everybody. But, like. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like. I think like, he is in love with her. I think that's I think the so most too. uncomfortable part. If yes. it were just filthy, like, yeah. sex text messages yeah. to his mistress, it would be like, Ugh. Right, right. But it's like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Yeah, it really oh, is. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. no, there's like a weird human element at play here, and he is not really known to be human. He's so. not allowed. Oh, oh, speaking of which. Yes. All right. So if. <laughs> <laughs> I know we sound like we're being total jerks about uh, <laughs> yeah. about Jeff Bezos. Yeah, and everyone deserves to find love. Yes, and, that's true. And how cruel that we would begrudge this man his feelings. Right. Yeah. But but fuck this guy <laughs> for so As- many reasons. Aside from him, like holding. <laughs> what, do you remember that like uh, sinners in the hands of an angry god? Oh yeah. Sermon from like the 1800s. Yes. Where he's what like was that guy's name. Yeah, yeah. John. Jonathan something. Something. I want to say Swift. That's wrong. But it was like three names. Oh my god. I like totally a serial killer. This. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. I totally remember this. Anyway, all of you screaming at us at home. Yeah. We will look it up later. You know, you know what it is. Um. Anyway, so he was talking about like how God is hanging you over a fire and you're like a spider on a spider's web and yes. he's deciding whether to throw you into the fire yeah. or not. That is Amazon. Yeah. It's with everyone true. who is like tangentially related to books, uh-huh. related yep. to books or just ordering anything or shipping anything or being surveilled for yeah. anything. So I don't feel sorry for him. Yeah. I never read gossip magazines. No, neither do I. So um, yeah. I- I'm sorry. Like if you're a terrible person who like mm-hmm. ruins a bunch of people's lives. Yeah. And people die on your watch. Right. You kind of deserve to get raked over the coals. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason. Yeah. It's and true. here, if that's not good enough for yeah. you, here's the final nail in the coffin. All right. Um, the biological dad of scandal hit Amazon billionaire Jeff Bezos died without ever reuniting with his son. That's Page six has learned. Terrible. Ted Jorgensen, a bike shop owner in Arizona, was stunned to discover Bezos was the son he last saw when he was barely one year old after being approached by a writer working on the biography of the CEO. However, despite reportedly being sent a letter by Bezos, Jorgensen died in 2015, age 70, without ever meeting his son. And a family source told us, Ted was just a teenager when Jeff was born. He was good and bad, just like everybody else. But the sad part is that he never met Jeff after he found out he was his biological father. He went to his grave, never having spoken to him. He would never talk about it, but I know it was hard for him. So That's... he let this old man die. Yeah, without ever meeting him. Without ever meeting Ooh. him. Why bother? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. I don't know. If you'd like been a deadbeat dad and left the family and it hadn't yeah. been like a teenage pregnancy issue, yeah. I'd kind of be like, eh, I get it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. But otherwise, it's like, eh. So uh, I ain't sorry for making fun of his stupid no, text messages. No, I don't feel like I'm sorry either. Okay. So. Oh. 
Mm. <laughs> it's just kind of depressing. Like the whole thing is depressing to yeah, me. Yeah, it like, is. It is. It's a sad story. I don't really. I, I like to like if a if a politician has a scandal mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. I'm usually like, let's just judge them on the fact that they've, you know, murdered millions of Iraqi civilians. Right. Right. Like, who cares? Yeah. They're like, let's yeah. judge them on the fact that they like shoot people with drones mm-hmm. like yeah let's let's look at their policies and how terrible they are yeah. oh they like had sex with this person great right. congratulations like, yeah yeah but i don't know this feels more personal to me yes and I maybe think it's so because too. i'm in publishing and uh that probably has something to do with it yeah but i agree with you because i don't really usually care about this stuff either it's like oh wow shocking a celebrity cheated on their spouse with another person like who cares well and i also kind of still feel that way yeah mm-hmm. about it but on the other hand yeah anyway yeah on to the interview yeah let's do it Okay, so we've got Charlie Hoffman here. She's a USA Today bestselling ghostwriter of more than 25 books. After working in traditional publishing for five years, she recently moved from New York to Montana and is loving the change of base. She's a full-time writer, and there's rarely a time where she doesn't have either a cup of tea or an orange cat next to her. Yay. Or both, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, both <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Charlie. No problem. Thank you for having me. All right. So um, I guess we should just get right to it. So um, what kind of work did you do in traditional publishing and how long did you do it? Um, I worked in traditional publishing for about five years. I did mostly agency work. I did a couple of agency internships and then I became an assistant at an agency as well. I also did a small editorial internship um, and I worked at a lot of bookstores. Yay. <laughs> hey, of course. Um, but yeah, my primary experience was um, in agency working and going through the slush pile and queries and all that good stuff. Oh, that's fun. Isn't it? (laughs) It it, can be. (laughs) Was it mostly fiction or nonfiction or just everything? Mostly mostly fiction for me. Um, I love nonfiction, but I, yeah, I, the queries for nonfiction are hard. They are. Yeah. (laughs) So what brought you into the book world? Um, it's kind of weird. I was actually, I went to school for theater and drama and then I went and I got a master's in dramatic writing. Um, and I had kind of become a book blogger, even I, <laughs> I know book bloggers are kind of a taboo at this point after the way it's turned. But, um, I, I did that for a while and in the middle of my graduate degree, I realized that I was having more fun online with my book friends than I was in my classes. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, I was like, this is not a thing that should be happening. So I kind of looked into publishing and I had been writing at that point for a while and um, I really liked it. And I applied for some internships and uh, joined a writing group of people who were in publishing in the city. Cause I was at long Island university okay. and, um, yeah, I had an internship within two weeks and started doing editorial work. And then once I graduated, I kind of just like took a right turn and didn't look back. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Have you, have you written any plays? Or I, uh, My graduate degree, um, I wrote a play for my thesis, which was um, premiered and directed by a fellow graduate student at the end of my tenure there, which was really fun. Do you think you'd ever do it again? Yeah, I I, I really enjoy uh, writing plays. I'm actually in two weeks, I'm going to Italy to collaborate with a friend of mine on a devised production of Medusa. So (laughs) which is pretty cool. Um, But you know, I love the the theater and stuff like that. It's just, um, as an actor, the internal politics weren't just they were it wasn't a right lifestyle for me. And I applaud all the people who can do it. But I'm much happier now. Yeah, no, I under, understood. I, I was um, training to be <laughs> I was training to be a classical singer. <laughs> so you know what I'm talking exactly about. Exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Also, my voice does this for two weeks every year. So that's not good. Oh, <laughs> you don't get hired. <laughs> but yeah, just all the, the personality clashes. It's a lot more chill with book people, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, don't worry. I mean, we've got our fair share of drama, but it's always at least a little bit more chill. And it's always happening to somebody else. (laughs) At least online. At least online. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Why? That's totally not true. What am I talking about? (laughs) Um, (laughs) All right. Um, 
cool. So did you ever have any inkling when you were like a kid that you wanted to work with books or was it just a very sharp right turn as you referred to it? Um, it, I wrote some really angsty poetry as a young teenager, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I never really thought about writing fiction until uh, I did that thing with like when I was like 13, I had a friend who was like, we should write a book. And, you know, we like did that thing where we kind of co-wrote a book, but it was more just like an excuse to hang out. It was like an Amid uh, notebook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it was actually a Mead notebook. Um, and then in college, I, I kind of turned back to that story that we had written as a manner of stress relief, like going back and stripping it and changing it. And it, I found that I really liked it. And I kind of fell into it and just kept writing from that point on. Rad. <laughs> so do you think so you moved around a lot as a child, right? So do you yeah. think that kind of influenced your interest in in being like a book person? Um. Maybe yes and no. I honestly think like moving around as a kid, um, I, I, it definitely influences your view of the world because as a very young person, then you, you understand from the get go how small the world in our country really is. And it gives you a very unique perspective on life, which I didn't, uh, value until Mm -hmm. I was much older. Um, but I honestly think the, the, the book person was more to do to my parents who read to me a lot as a kid Mm, and, uh, like always provided literature for me to read when I was in countries that I didn't speak the language Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. I was homeschooled all the way through high school. So that contributed a lot. I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. That's upside down. All right. (laughs) Okay. So uh, you moved out of traditional publishing and uh into indie publishing was there was there a crossover you you do sorry you do ghostwriting so was there some traditional ghostwriting before the indie ghostwriting like how did that work out well um before I transitioned into my job at the agency I worked for I had gotten an offer to do ghostwriting and this is kind of like an interesting situation where it's a publishing company but it's kind of published indie so it's it is kind of crossover okay um And I, when I went to work at the agency, I I knew I wasn't going to have the time. And so I was like, you know, I I don't want to do this right now. And then um, when I left that job, I knew I didn't want to immediately move back into corporate publishing. And so I was like, this is a really good way to kind of balance the skills that I like. Let me give it a shot. And so I've been doing it ever since. And it's really fun. (laughs) (laughs) And it's great because the reviews don't matter. (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> they're not about you yeah 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 they're, I mean it's actually really been really great training to look at bad reviews and just let them roll off your back because nobody associates it with your name so it's 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 fine and you can learn to laugh at it if it's ridiculous so. <laughs> well that's good it doesn't sound like the repercussions are too bad are there are there like professional repercussions for bad reviews or no, not really. I mean, in in general, my reviews aren't bad, but everybody gets those one stars that makes you laugh. Yeah, you know. So, um, but just learning to moderate yourself in looking at public opinion of your work and being able to let that go, mm-hmm. in terms of my personal writing, has been really valuable. Yeah. What uh, What kind of books do you ghostwrite? Um, I ghostwrite roast, mostly romance. Can't talk today. Roast um, man. <laughs> That's a completely different kind of book. Uh, <laughs> no, I mostly ghostwrite romance and I have done uh, a few thrillers. Okay. What, uh, so are those, uh, tell me more about the thrillers just cause that's a personal interest of mine. Are, uh, were, are they like police or are they, um, or? the ones that I worked on were serial killer type thrillers. Oh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like get into the head of a killer? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I was asked to develop the kind of MO for this killer. So like diving into the rules that he would use and um, kind of the justification for his actions was right. really interesting. Um, be able to create that kind of twisted logic and then apply it to a plot. It was awesome. kind of fun. Awesome. It's really fun to get in there. So um, I know that there's a lot of sub genres of romance we've talked to. Uh, yeah many <laughs> breeze come in and talk to us about it on the show so um uh, have you written all across multiple jo- subgenres of romance or do you stick yeah. to a niche um, mostly it's in con- the contemporary niche but like there's so many subgenres in that and i've um i would say it's probably mostly like just pretty traditional contemporary but um you know 
there's a few here and there. Whatever they ask me to do, that's what I write. <laughs> You're like, whatever you say, boss. Yeah. <laughs> my pen's at the ready and yeah. my finger typing fingers are yeah. clickety clacking. It's 1935. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, um, okay. Well, you already kind of told us why you went into the that realm rather than traditional publishing. Were there uh, other reasons that you would like to talk about that uh, – you oh. prefer to be where you are now? Um, is it like less stress or? Well, I mean, uh, I, I've been with the same kind of contracting with the same company for for most of my work. And um, that's kind of nice just because, you know, it's a sure thing. Um, but ghostwriting is um, because of the nature of it, it's very inherently kind of hush hush. And so it's actually harder than one would think to find those gigs. So when you find a good one, it's nice to stick with it um because you never know if it's there's going to be it like if you branch out is there going to be another one you know mm-hmm. so. so it's all pretty secret yeah i mean yeah it depends on the genre again and it depends on the contract and it depends on like the type of ghostwriting because you could def- te- technically consider the people that write with james patterson as ghostwriters and yet right. they're credited okay. so it, and so it it depends upon the situation it depends on whether you're a real ghost or not (laughs) yeah (laughs) clearly i am (laughs) (laughs) all right so what overlaps do you see between traditional publishing and indie publishing and uh so what are some similarities and then differences that you see well, I mean, the as facetious as it sounds, the obvious similarity is that they're just trying to get books to people. Um, yeah. But the just the overall approach is so different that I understand why there's a lot of friction between the two communities in general, just because the, there's such different mindsets. Um, one is just very self-driven and the other is like, uh, kind of what I would consider legacy. Like, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way it's been proven to work. Let us do our thing. Mm-hmm. And then um, the indie people are, are kind of on the cutting edge and they're they're always trying new things. Not that traditional publishing doesn't try new things, but they're actively reaching out and, um, you know, they're connecting with readers on a, a greater level. Right. And uh, they're pursuing their audience instead of letting their audience find them. So can you go into that a little bit more about how like one would pursue an audience? Well, speaking to the romance market, there's obviously within romance, all of these subgenres and tropes that are pretty codified. Um, And based on sales, the the writers in the community kind of see what works and they choose to create stories that they know these people are going to like. Mm -hmm. And so instead of I mean, there are, there's exceptions to every rule. So whatever I'm saying, I'll, obviously there's going to be somebody who disagrees with this. But like, there's a lot of romance writers who take their stories and um, they write to market. They write what they know sells, and they kind of let the content that they create be driven by their audience mm-hmm. instead of in traditional publishing. I feel like it's more extolled to write the book you want to write regardless of audience and we'll find it for you. Okay. Both of those approaches are valid. They're just, they just take very different paths. So um, how do the authors get the feedback from uh, the readers that show them how to write to the audience? I think um, reviews are really important in that. And I think there are a lot of romance blogs and, and the Twitter sphere and the Insta bookstagram sphere where, and even especially actually in the romance community, Facebook is hugely active. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're these, these women who love and read romance, they breathe it like oxygen and they love to communicate with their authors and they like to tell people if they like it and they want more. So it's just, it's, um, a very, open communication between author and reader uh, more so I feel than a lot of other genres. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good to have that kind. I don't know if like traditional authors really get that kind of uh, feedback. Uh, Corinne's in marketing. And so I, what what do you think? I think no. You think no? Yes. My short answer (laughs) and my long answer is no, I don't think so. Would you say, cause I, I see authors, even indie authors as being like, Sometimes they're extroverts, but a lot of time introverted people. 
Um, would you agree or would you say that the online persona is different? It takes all types, you know, and um, I've seen conversations with people where like I, I am definitely an introvert. So I understand the struggle that a lot of people who are also introverts and writers need when they present themselves on social media. But I think it doesn't matter too much because everybody's going to find a, str- a strategy that works for them, you know, and they're, they're going to find their audience where they're at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're an introvert, maybe that means you don't do like Facebook live stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it maybe you just do more posts that you can schedule and not have to do a lot of face-to-face interaction, maybe just more text interaction. Whereas I know there are a lot of romance authors who'd love to do Facebook live and Instagram live and like have that real visceral connection with their readers. Cause that's what they thrive on. Right. Right. And they feed off of the energy. <laughs> yeah. But like in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Not, they're not vampires. Guys. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Unless, unless the sexy kinds, which right. someone, someone must still like that. Right. Oh yeah. No, there are definitely, I think I just saw uh, my, my Facebook feed is just like, like I swear every third post is like an advertisement for a romance novel. And I, I, I see vampire ads all the time. Oh good. So it's still yeah. hot then. <laughs> just a little bit of nostalgia from yeah. times gone by. <laughs> I, I think vampires are coming back. I've seen a few oh. book deals for them lately. Yeah, it's about time. I've seen a few zombies even too. So like, I guess we're looping around. Not in romance though. God. Yeah, that um, would be. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be a hard one to pull off unless you set it on the backdrop of zombies, or unless yeah. it's like a comedy, like uh, whatever that one with Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza. That oh movie. yeah, I don't know. right, right, right. Uh, yeah, was it mean. Warm Bodies? Oh, or there was no? that one. Yeah. Oh, that was a romance though, right? Yeah. And that was a book first, wasn't it? It was a book. Yeah. Oh, okay. mm. Well, there you go. It's possible. Yes. <laughs> if you can dream <laughs> it, you can be it. Writers, go for it. <laughs> do do follow your hearts. <laughs> so what do you think um traditional publishing can learn from uh, people who self-publish i think i think the the finding and distilling of the audience is something that they can definitely use um there i've seen in the past when i have observed marketing and sales tactics among big chains and stuff like that they they opt in favor of being the same across the board instead of serving individual communities and what those needs are. For example, when I I used to work at a bookstore in New York City and I worked on the Upper West Side where there's a lot of affluent people who live in that neighborhood. Most of the sales in the bookstore were nonfiction and like high-end medical books and psychology books and, you know, graphic novels of things of that nature. Whereas, if you take a look at bookstores in the Midwest where people aren't necessarily as influenced by the New York times, you would want to see displays of like mass market romances or, or genre books, but they don't do that. They just kind of have the same displays across the board and treat all audiences as if they're one thing instead of like paying attention to demographics. Mm -hmm. Right. The right targeting for. Right. Yeah. They're not, I I feel like they could target better. Mm -hmm. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. That's a really good point. I totally agree with that. And I think it's, I mean, I think that's also just the mindset of like the big five too. You know, it's like, this is the way we've always done it. So we'll just keep doing it this way, you know? And even if it's not really effective, it's just like, well, you that know. legacy thing you were yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, what I think it is. Yeah. yeah, and I've seen it time and time again where I've interacted with certain publishers and um, seen what their employees do. And like, there'll be employees who know that things could be better, but because of the like the decision ladder, right. it doesn't get done in a way that would benefit both the company and the book. It just gets done the way it's always been done. So that's, I think, I think there should be a little bit more flexibility and maybe nimbleness in the traditional publishing mindset to, to take advantage of opportunities. Book sales have been going up since 2013. Like, so like take advantage of it, like ride the wave. Mm -hmm. One of my questions was actually, uh, tell us everything about your cat. Cause yeah. I am. Well, do you want to do that person. now, or do you want to do that? At the we end? could we could go back to the other yeah. stuff. So okay. let's let's talk cat right now. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, 
he his name is Darcy, full name Cat William Darcy. Mm-hmm. Um, he does have an Instagram at Cat William Darcy. Oh, everybody follow at Cat <laughs> William Darcy. Um, uh, he's a rescue. I got him when it was about a year old, and like actually, his rescue story is one of my favorite things because um, I was living in New York, and I my childhood pet had passed away about six months earlier. And so I was down at my parents' house visiting them in the summer and I was in no way planning to adopt a cat. That's always <laughs> I just decided is. to yep. go to the pet store to get some cat love time, you know, how it goes. Um, and I walked in and there were several cats in there and there was one that kind of fit quote unquote, the bill of what I was looking for. She, she was like a female. She was about six months old. She was pretty gray. She had green eyes. She was very similar to the cat that I had lost. Yeah. And then there was this little guy, (laughs) (laughs) orange, rambunctious. And I'd never, ever seen a cat try to get at a human the way he was trying to get at me. He was reaching through the bars. He was grabbing my hair. He was (laughs) meowing. He just, he wanted me, but it was late at night. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is a fluke. Maybe you just want, like you're in a cage. Maybe you just want attention. So I came back the next morning and there were workers there and I took him out of the cage and he wrapped his arms around my around me put his neck into or his face into my neck and just hugged me oh That's, my god like he just he absolutely hugged me and my mom was there and she 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 will attest to the fact and i was just like okay well yeah <laughs> and so, <laughs> so i took the other cat out the gray cat just because i was like i just want to see how yeah she reacts and she freaked out and it wasn't her fault. She was really young and really scared. And I was like, okay, yeah. well, I guess you little orange guy here coming home with me. Uh, and yeah, no, he's, he's just the best. Oh he's, uh, he's totally rambunctious. He's three and a half years old and he still acts like a kitten. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he's just such a people cat. Me and my roommate, we always joke about the fact that he has the biggest FOMO of everybody we've ever seen. Because <laughs> if she gets up to go to the kitchen and then, like, for whatever reason, I have to fill my glass of water and I go to the kitchen, he has to come to the kitchen. Yeah. Yep. He has to be where the people are. He's Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. So he's pretty great. He's he's great. But yeah, no, I just started the Instagram for him about like a month ago because I used to be really against pet Instagrams, but I got Why? tired of fl- flooding him, uh, his pictures on mine. So I was like, you're getting your own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I live for pet Instagram. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> I, I, I kind of draw the line at the like the... I was seeing a lot of pet Instagrams that just seemed really over the top, like just like dressing them up oh. and doing this stuff. And I was like, okay, that seems like a lot of work yeah. for that. But now I'm just posting. I mean, the more organic. Yes. yes. The, yes. No, the more pure yeah, I just ones. have pictures of him hanging out. So oh, that's good enough. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> All right. So circling back to our yeah. last question regarding publishing um, okay. is uh, how, how do you view the future of publishing based on the synthesis of both traditional and where indie's going and self-publishing? I think there is a future. I know that oh, some yeah. people are skeptical of that. Um, I think the music industry went through a restructuring with the advent of digital music. And I feel like publishing is going through that same restructuring, but in a much slower form. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am the last person in the world who wants to see brick and mortar stores go down. I don't want that to happen. I don't think it will happen with the resurgence of independent bookstores and stuff. Um, but it's just going to be a lot harder. There's, you know, at society, treats books like luxuries now. And that's a historic thing based on the fact that publishing used to be considered a almost noble profession. Um, And we, the, with the economy, the way it is, it's harder for people to spend money on stuff like books for entertainment, especially when they're viewed as such a luxury. So I don't know. I think, I think we're eventually going to come to a balance of probably mainly digital with a limited selection of print books. I imagine that, oh, what were they called? Um, a while ago, an idea was floated about um, like showroom stores where you go and you look at the book and you like, there's a copy of a book, but then you order the copy from the, from isn't the, that uh, what, isn't that what that's Amazon like what they, does now? Like with their yeah. brick and mortar stores. 
Yeah, I think that's what they do. Um, And I think that might be a good model for some bookstores to follow, maybe not just Amazon. I don't know Um, if that would keep the overhead down. It would keep stock prices down, perhaps. Yeah, from Um, what I've been seeing on like Publishers Weekly, it's the stores are all closing because of rent. Like the rents are just too high. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think the main concern that I would have about the future is like, I competition always benefits the consumer. So if I don't really have, that's a lie. I can't say that. I do have some beef with Amazon. (laughs) I mean, they are keeping independent publishing alive in a very vibrant way. So I can't necessarily complain about that. However, if Amazon becomes the monopoly in publishing and the only major retailer to be selling books, I believe that could create some problems just because then they're dictating everything. They have the ability to dictate like whether or not they like the cover of a book. They have the ability to basically control the careers of authors based on how many books they decide to purchase from the publisher. So I'm hoping for a future where there are still enough brick and mortar bookstores to create the competition that we need for a lively and not, um, not I'm thinking the word, (laughs) um, the word that's popping into my head. (laughs) No, like, uh, like, so it's not a monoculture is. Oh yeah. 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 The word in my head was monogamous and I was like, that's not right. Um, (laughs) That's that's too positive. (laughs) No, I, I, so that the the competition will create like more creativity. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, nobody can really predict the future, though. So who knows? Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, I feel like they're already. Um, I mean, controlling a lot of our uh, traditional publishing companies' mm-hmm. uh, schedule and yep. stuff like that. So yeah. I mean, do, so here's a question. I know that self-published authors have a lot of control or are completely responsible for most of their marketing and their SEO and their choice of keywords. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you as a ghostwriter have any responsibility for that sort of thing or is that done by someone else? No, that's done by someone else. <laughs> Thankfully. <Hooray>. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully. But even in that, the, there's a lot of, um, especially for published or self-published writers, there's a lot of bullets to dodge in terms of um, terms of service for both Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Facebook, especially when you're advertising. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, Brie was saying it's uh, one of their terms of service thing is like don't do exactly what you would expect or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sure. I it's haven't. like this is a this is forbidden. This is forbidden. The things that are forbidden are exactly what you might expect. <laughs> That's what she told yeah. us. It's sad. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> I think that the, some of the problems that I've seen from self-published authors of mine is that the the terms of service or the the guidelines rather are very inconsistently followed. So um, you can get a slap on the wrist for doing something wrong, even if it's technically not something that you thought was wrong. Right. And then somebody else could do the same thing, and it will be totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I guess that's like probably a lot of people <laughs> doing subjective things and controlling it subjectively. Yeah, I mean, True. and especially when you have big sites like Amazon who are like, they're managing a massive flow of information and algorithms aren't perfect. Right. You know, so like that's a source of like, I think that's going to get better in the future. I think that if they want to have a more detailed filtration process they're going to have to bring on more human bodies because uh, there's only so much a robot can recognize when putting guidelines up you know (laughs) so So i think that's gonna (laughs) but i'm hoping that in the near future we'll see a nice marriage and integration of the digital and the print world but in a way that's not as contentious as it sometimes seems to be right like it doesn't have to be a war Mm -hmm. right yeah right uh (laughs) yeah let's hope not (laughs) well and i know that uh the popularity of print but maybe this has to do with like millennial 90s nostalgia or something like that (laughs) but there's a lot of people who are like i only read print books now and it kind of took a little bit of a like uh 
boost, not a very big one, but just a little bit of a boost in the last couple of years. But what I've also seen is the um, trade war is causing the price of paper to rise a lot. Yeah. So I I can totally see it going toward a more digital thing just for the reason of scarcity, even. It's an interesting thing that um, the price of materials also dictates the kind of books that people want to publish. Like when the digital market happened, uh, people's the the maximum length of books that people wanted to query or that agents wanted to accept went drastically down. Um, you know, no longer were people expect accepting um, books that were like over a hundred thousand words. It was like hard cap for most genres. You do not go above that number. Yeah. Um, it's a little, I mean, obviously there's always outliers, Yeah. but um, yeah, it, it impacts stuff like that. So if the pr- price of paper is rising, perhaps we'll compensate with shorter books. Right. Or, a, or maybe instead of the traditional, always hardcover than paperback model, perhaps we'll just go like to have more straight to paperback books, which right. a lot of readers would probably prefer. I love my hardbacks, but I know plenty of people who like always wait to paperback. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways that it could go. Like if you do straight to paperback, do you give the author a little bit more royalties? Like what it just, Right. Where do you go? I and I hope that with the potential integration of these things that maybe people will come to value books more and like not think that it's only worth ninety nine cents. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Um <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole thing. I could talk forever on that subject. Oh man. I yeah, I, I feel because I've been doing some editing. I've taken on some some uh, editing clients for self-published books, and I'm just like, this money's shit. <laughs> Which like I'm not going to charge more than market price, obviously, but like, yeah, it's 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 that whole race to the bottom thing. It's like it's, people aren't paying a lot for the book, so you can't like charge a lot for book it's that services. And it's the myth of the the starving artist that is so prevalent in our society that we venerate and honor these people who are not in a healthy place and not able to live because they're not making money when in turn, like that's not, that's not cool. I've been the starving artist thing. It's not fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. and, uh, I, I hope that myth goes away. <laughs> Do it for personally. the exposure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Fun question, less depressing than our our uh, money making abilities. I'm very optimistic about the future of publishing. Oh sure, I'm just talking about money. Oh yeah, you know, isn't everything right? True. (laughs) Yes. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but no, I'm I'm optimistic too. I mean, we're always gonna love books. That's that's pretty much stayed the same. I think. um, Do you listen to any of the Book Riot podcasts? Um, I have occasionally, not as much as I would like to. There was one, I think it was annotated, um, and I might be getting it completely wrong, but they did that whole like, oh, are people not reading books anymore? And they've talked about how people have been asking that question for like over 100 years every time yeah. a new technology <laughs> comes out. So it's like, yeah, oh, there's radio now. Are people going to stop reading books? <laughs> oh, there's TV now. Are people going to stop reading books? And it never happens. It just stays like the people who read books read books. Yeah. There are very few sources of media like that that have been so prevalent through the entire age of humanity. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? I think it's the power of story. I think it's, I saw something online the other day that I, I, I can't attribute because I don't remember where it came from, but it was basically like, um, books are made up of scenes and scenes are made up of words and words are made up of letters. And isn't that weird how it adds up to a movie in our head? <laughs> and that's the, that's the thing. I think actually that was, um, on VE Schwab's Instagram now that okay. I think about it and she's amazing and I love her. Uh, <laughs> but that's the, the fact that, you can be looking at something on a piece of paper and it can transport you to a place that you've never been. Right. That's an experience you can't have with anything else. And you get to choose what that looks like to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like time travel and imagination. It's just, it's so powerful. It's like the, the greatest form of escape that we have Mm -hmm. as human beings. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and while maintaining some control and some artistic license, I, I would say, <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause it, I mean, how many times do you watch like a movie and go, that's not how I pictured that. How dare you? <laughs> yeah. That's why I oftentimes when I go to see movies that are ad- adaptations of books that I really like, I have to see it twice once to like get my feelings out about like, Oh, that wasn't, that wasn't the way I expected. And then the second time I go, I know what's coming and I can actually enjoy the movie for what it is. I think that's a really healthy way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It it was like that with the hunger games movies, even though I think the hunger games movies are amazing adaptations. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I still had to like go in there and unclench my shoulders a little bit and then go and see it again and be like, Oh, okay. This movie's actually really good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what are you reading right now? Right now, um, I just finished uh, The Poppy War by R.F. Quang. I don't know. I doubt I'm pronouncing her name correctly, and I apologize. Um, It was a really very interesting book. Um, There... It's not an easy book to read. It's a fantasy book, adult fantasy, I should clarify. It's not YA, even though some people have billed it as that. It's very much not YA. Um, Based on one of the wars between Japan and China. And uh, it is brutal. And it's an amazingly written and and it's um, there's magic and fantasy and, and, and really cool relationships and stuff, but it is also like an, a unflinching look at the horrors of what war can look like. And it's, it was, I still kind of haven't sorted all my feelings out about it. (laughs) Um, That, and uh, now I just started, um, the book I Am, I Am, I Am by Maggie O'Farrell, I believe her name is. Yeah. Um, it's more about uh, near-death experiences. Wow. So <laughs> 17 near-death experiences, I believe, is how it's oh built, or 17 brushes with death. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's one of the ones that was in the trades, right? Like oh. a few months ago. Oh, I don't even know. No. I don't know. No. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've heard of it and looked at it and went, that looks scary. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just I just bought um, The Wicked King by Holly Black because it just came out yesterday or a couple days ago. Okay. Corinne? Yeah. Yes. Oh, you want me to say yeah. what I'm reading? What are you? I'm still reading The Road to Jonestown. Uh, by Jeff Gwynn. By Jeff Gwynn. I am also reading that. We are reading it together. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry, what was the title? It's The Road to Jonestown by Jeff Gwynn. So it's oh, okay. a, uh, yeah, about yeah. Jim Jones. Yep. yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That must be heavy. It is. You're 150 pages in? Yeah, 150 pages in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's already doing really weird things. He's super weird. He did that weird things from birth, though. I mean, there's nothing about him that's, like, normal. Well, and remember how I was complaining? I read the... I I was listening to the Parker Posey memoir, and I was complaining about how I always think that childhood sections of people's memoirs are kind of boring. Oh, yeah. But then I read this one. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) And it's literally one of the sentences is... And then came the animal funerals. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and sad, but amazing. Yeah. Oh, my God. Quite um, a guy. But what else? Are you reading anything else right now? I'm still trying to get through that Court and Spark book, but uh, it's written very... Is that the, is that the motherhood? That's, no, or? that's the 33 and a third. 33 and a third. Yeah, oh, yeah it's about okay. the Joni Mitchell album of the same name. <gasps> oh. Yeah. So, but the author is... He's kind of one of those authors who just like throws big words around to show that he knows what they mean, oh, which is very annoying to smart me. Guy. Yeah. So it might be <laughs> slow going. But anyway, that's what I'm reading right now. So are you about- reading the incendiaries still? Yes, I'm still reading that. I forgot. Yes, yeah. I'm still in the middle of that. Yeah. Too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I love it so far. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Emily, what are you reading? I'm also reading The Road to Jonestown. I'm reading. Um, I always have to have a kindle book going so if i can't fall asleep but i can't turn the light on because my husband's sleeping i can read it on my phone so i started reading started reading the second sex by simone de beauvoir (laughs) 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 no it's not it's 750 pages and i'm like (laughs) we'll see what happens it will put me to sleep baby and then um the obelisk gate uh, part of the broken earth trilogy i've seen i've seen that cover and it looks super interesting to me because um uh, so nk jemison as i have talked about on the show before um the first one is the fifth season second one is um the obelisk gate 
Um, so after the fifth season, I cried inconsolably for an hour. Wow. <laughs> and um, my husband was very frightened. <laughs> and I was pacing the room and talking about it a lot. And um, But yeah, we went out and bought this when I finally started it again. And, um, or not again. Yeah, I guess I've again, such, if it's the same author. But, right. You know. I've heard such great things about that series. I just, I do have a tendency to stray away from the giant books, like the, the big yes. thick yeah. fantasies, just because I know that they take me a while to get through and I have so many books that I want to oh, read. Oh yeah. So I, and the I print is like, small. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like with the Outlander books or the Ice, Song of Ice and Fire, that those kind of things. Like I would, I, I do want to read the the fifth season. I just have to work my, my brain up to it. Yeah. I think. Sometimes it helps to get an ebook because you trick mm-hmm. yourself. You're like, I can't see how thick it is. That's true. <laughs> That's a good point. Very true. That's true. Very true. And then you can make the text size bigger. Exactly. Yeah. I did that to myself with Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I um, got it on ebook and I was like, this just keeps going. But I'm having a great time. <laughs> so good. So good. Oh, okay. Is there anything else that you want to say um, about publishing? Any thoughts? Closing thoughts? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like my big gun was kind of the value of the artist. Um, yeah. But no, I just, I think publishing is such an interesting and strange career to have fallen into. And I really like it and value it. And it's so, it's such a mysterious place to be. And I think that's why people are still kind of confused about what publishers and authors and agents do because you know that in the movies and stuff they never get it right but that's because <laughs> this book is coming out tomorrow like, yeah <laughs> yeah it's kind of like it's just we're in a little bubble everybody knows everybody and uh it's like it's like new york city it's the smallest town in the world right. you know and it's we've all got our own little rules and stuff but yeah i just i'm glad that i'm here because i enjoy it so much yeah. <laughs> And you're in you're in Montana, you said. Yeah, yeah, I am in Montana. Yeah, it's not, is is it snowy there right now? It, it is. It's actually been a shockingly mild winter. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's been it's only my first winter living here, but I've visited before, and it's um, we've got a little bit of snow, but it's been pretty warm. It's been like in the 30s and 40s, which is pretty warm for this time in Montana. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it gets it gets there here, so it must be warm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty warm. Uh, um, is there? Oh, good. Is there anything other than Cat William Darcy on Instagram? Is there anything you would like to plug? Um, you can follow my Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, at Charlie underscore NYC, even though I don't live there anymore. That's I know. Okay. <laughs> People constantly ask me if I was going to update my three letters if I moved. And I was like, no, I lived there for a long time. I'm going to be, I'm yeah, still going to be there. Own it. You yeah. don't know anybody in explanation. <laughs> Never apologize, as Julia Child says. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, Charlie, for coming on our show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and we appreciate your insights. Thank you. Right. Right. Well, yeah. What a week. Yeah, what a week. Truly, what a week. <laughs> and don't forget that tomorrow is Jeff Bezos' birthday. Yeah. So everybody send him happy birthday wishes. I mean, it won't be tomorrow when I put this out, but... No, but it, January 12th is his January birthday. January 12th. This yeah. is January 11th, yeah. obviously. Right. recording this. So. <laughs> He's a Capricorn. Can't Duh. say I'm surprised. No, I'm neither neither surprised. Not surprised either. <laughs> <laughs> neither is she surprised. Um. Yeah, so uh, go to our website, mm-hmm. hybridpubscout.com. Uh, sign up for our weekly news, uh, bi-weekly newsletter. Yes, Maybe right. someday weekly. Maybe someday I don't know. I don't know. Sure. Someday. Yeah. It's a whole new year, 2019. Yeah. Anything could happen. It's true. So that's um, under join our troop. Just put your email address yep. in there and you're you're in. And uh, yeah. you get a preview of Corinne's uh bi-weekly rants about whatever the hell she wants to talk about sure it's great it's the best writing job i've ever had yeah yeah she doesn't get shit for it no uh, no yeah nope (laughs) exposure (laughs) exposure i am being paid in exposure all right yeah (laughs) (laughs) um follow us on twitter at hybrid pub scout um and then facebook Mm -hmm. hybrid pub scout also yep and we are on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Please rate review us. Yes. 
Give um, us as many stars as possible. If you want to give us five stars, please rate and review us. If you don't, then yeah. just don't. Yeah. Just don't do it. No negativity. Yeah. Yeah. But just go on there if you like us. And if you don't like us, why have you made it this far? Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Podbean, TuneIn, uh-huh. Player FM. SoundCloud. That's it. You got anything else to say, Corinne? I don't think so. I'm just excited to be reading again. (laughs) Yeah, we're all so proud. I'm very proud of myself, frankly. So, yeah. Well, thank you all for giving the rip about books.